Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with you today with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. I'm really excited to have with me today, Avon Armstrong Sutton. He is an associate clinical social worker with over a decade of clinical practice experience in mental health and addictions working with persons across the lifespan. Avon has dedicated their career to working with persons affected by complex trauma from a perspective that honors the mind-body connection and psycho-spiritual integration. Avon is also a PhD candidate at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, where they're investigating how we conceptualize adversity in our understanding of psychological resistance. Welcome, Avon. Hi. So happy to have you here with me. I'm excited um, to be here. I know we we share so many common interests in terms of like our work in the field of psychology. And what I really appreciate about you is that, like myself, you have this more broad, holistic kind of perspective on what we're calling mental health, which, you know, I don't really think you can separate mind, body, and spirit. But um, in your work with people and how you see things, I love the lens through which you know you do that. Tell us a little bit about how you came to even do this work. Let us get to know you a little bit. Sure. So um, I began my my journey in social work education, um, and initially, I actually thought that I was going to take more of a macro approach um, to social work, where I would be doing community organizing, community development, because I have a very strong commitment to social justice. Um, but as, as I was working through my degree program, um, I recognized that I had a really keen interest in supporting people and healing wounds um, from trauma. Um, and I kind of found that as my opportunity um, to shift and change the world one person at a time. Um, and then as I was working through my training in graduate school, I recognized there was a limitation to how we conceptualize mental health um, uh, and how a lot of the ways in which we use the biomedical model to conceptualize mental health and mental health treatment doesn't resonate for large uh, groups of people in our world, especially those who experience marginalization because yes. um, it can be quite pathologizing. So then I expanded my scope to try to understand from the broadest, most holistic perspective possible how to meet people where they're at and how to join with people in their healing. Um, and that kind of led me to more mind, body, spiritual approaches, especially as I did more trauma training. Um, there's that adage that a stressed brain cannot exist in a relaxed body. Um, um, and that really became a cornerstone of how I began to do my work. So you really studied a lot of more energetic based approaches. Um, and I would say, uh, traditional healing methods that come from other parts of the world, like Eastern healing methods, 
Indian medicine um, or uh, traditional Chinese medicine. You and I have talked a lot about like energy psychology and tapping, but within that, and I tend to have, you know, speak a lot on tapping because that's like my expertise has been more with those modalities, but there's also a lot of work that's been done and also integrated into now these more holistic approaches of working with the chakra system. And that's what we want to talk about today. Um, maybe we just start with that. What exactly is the chakra system and where is this information even coming from? So the chakra system really comes out of, of Ayurvedic medicine in India. Um, and has uh, in yogic philosophy, um, but has really become a part of the, if it, it, you'd be hard pressed to read any new age spiritual material um, without someone talking about the chakra system. Um, mm -hmm. The chakra system has become a, a fundamental basis to, um, I think, the modern spiritual movement um, uh, globally. Um, yes. For example, um, one of my favorite authors, who's Christopher Penzak, who uh, does a lot of writing around paganism and witchcraft, spends an enormous amount of time talking about the chakra system, even though the chakra idea of the chakra system didn't really emerge out of paganism or witchcraft. It's uniquely something that's come out of India. It has infiltrated, I think, large parts of the spiritual community um, yes. as a way to conceptualize mm -hmm. human suffering how to conceptualize healing, how to conceptualize psychological blocks, even down to this idea of physical disease. Um, yes. You know, shamans worldwide would argue that um, <clears throat> we are experiencing some kind of spiritual or energetic blockage for a long period of time before it begins to manifest as dis-ease. Yes. Um, and so that's sort of how I've, I've come to integrate that kind of approach in, in my mental health work. And, mm -hmm. I, and I'm getting a sense, I don't know if you've had this experience in your client work, but there are a lot of, over the course of the pandemic, um, a lot of people are beginning to question spirituality yes. or invite spirituality into their life. There is a sort of existential shift that people are wrestling with. Um, so I started to see an influx in folks who were like, I want to engage with this idea of spirituality. I want to engage with how I can begin to connect to something beyond myself because I feel so isolated. Yes, I for sure have seen that. I also sense that the pandemic is part of a larger, larger global shift. I think our whole planet is in like a revolutionary time and people are waking up and seeking more consciousness. And so they're looking for, um, how to open up to spirituality, how to heal themselves of various um, physical, mental, emotional, whatever, fill in the blanks. Um, I think the pandemic really brought to light a lot of shadow material that mm -hmm. people have been holding both personally and collectively. So yes, I definitely see it as a time when there's a huge interest in personal growth, healing, consciousness, evolution, and so I think this conversation, you know, bringing in the wisdom of, gosh, Ayurvedic medicine has been around for probably about 5,000 years or more, right? Bringing in these traditional healing perspectives and, and approaches to the Western work we've been doing, because clearly Western medicine and psychiatry <laughs> has not done a great job of assisting people in healing from um, various diagnoses and conditions. So we need to look outside the box. And even, you know, the more most enlightened 
psychiatrists will say, <clears throat> psychopharmacological treatment, um, it's just one small piece of the overall healing process. Um, um, and that change really comes from how we begin to reorganize and, and recover our internal world and yes. recover parts of who we are. Yes, exactly. So let's get more specific about how the chakra system works and um, what does it mean when you have kind of a healthy balance of energy in these different centers in your body versus when they get imbalanced, what happens? Tell us more about that. Sure. So the chakra system has a number of currents. Um, it has a downward current that comes down through the crown chakra. Um, which is our connection to the universe, to the heavens, to our higher self, you know, whatever language you want to use to describe that. I often think about Marsha Linehan's work in dialectical behavior therapy, and she, you know, says the fusion of our rational and emotional mind is the wise mind. We could argue that the wise mind is that higher self. Mm -hmm. um, in internal family systems theory, um, Schwartz calls it the self, that mm -hmm. transcendental self that just exists from this place of care and compassion. Um, and so we have this downward current that pulls in inspiration, uh, wisdom, um, um, motivation, those sorts of things, and pulls it downward. And then we have an upward current, which comes up through the root, um, which really helps us anchor ourselves into our body. Um, and that downward current helps us pull in that divine wisdom or that higher wisdom and helps us integrate it in a way that becomes sort of emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually fulfilling. Now, if we kind of get stuck in a downward pull, mm -hmm. we may not be able to access those higher chakras. Similarly, and this often happens in trauma, yes. if we have a trauma to the body, mm -hmm. we may shut off access to the lower chakras mm -hmm. and we're very heady. Mm -hmm. very flighty or dissociative. Um, um, and so we're pulling in too much of that, that sort of downward current from the crown chakra. We're cutting ourselves off essentially from the neck down. Yes. Which I commonly see a lot in my work. Me too. I was, and I am one of those people who once didn't realize I even had a body below my head. My energy, you know, has always been very concentrated in here. So there, there are practices we can do to help change the flow of the energy and restore some kind of balance, right? Mm -hmm. And similarly to the, um, it's all that adage as above, so below. So we have those two currents. And we also have a current that pulls in and sends out. Mm -hmm. So the current in is how we pull in energy into our energy body to kind of feed ourselves, to keep our, our, ourselves energized and how we relate to other people. So that inward current is how we pull in energy from the environment around us and how we relate to that environment. And then the current outward, which is usually actually through the solar plexus, mm -hmm. um, as we're sort of sending that energy out, that's how we manifest mm -hmm. and engage in creation of the realities that we want for ourselves. Right. Um, so if we're imbalanced in any one of those currents, um, our energy body can become depleted and, 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 and blocked or kind of, you know, dysregulated. Mm -hmm. And how can that show up? What might be some signs that of that imbalance? 
So some signs of that imbalance. So if someone is really kind of externally focused, um, these might be people who work a lot, um, who are really ambitious and career driven, and they're doing so much to create the life that they want. Burnout would be an example. Like when people begin to experience burnout, in my view, that's a really good indicator that there's a lot of externally focused current. Like we're sending a lot out, but we're not really pulling a lot in. Yes. We're not acknowledging our needs or asking for what we need. We're engaging in self-care. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone who may be sort of upper chakra dominant, like they're stuck in that kind of pull-in current, that downward current, uh, but they're disconnected from their body. They could That could manifest as being um, kind of disconnected from from the reality around them. They may daydream a lot. Um, um, They may have a lot of beautiful ideas and they may be really creative and inspired, but may have a really hard time manifesting that into the world. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Creating a life worth living might be really difficult. Um, um, I see this a lot in kind of dissociative kind of symptoms um, or people who feel like I have, I've had a few folks that I work with are like, I feel chronically dizzy. Like, I feel like I have vertigo all the time. Um, mm-hmm. But there's nothing organically that my doctor can really identify that's the cause of that. Um, and I'm like, okay, someone might be disconnected from their body then. And we kind of need to pull you back in. Um, and if someone is sort of lower chakra dominant, um, they may feel like life has little meaning or purpose. Mm-hmm. Um they might feel really heavy in their bodies. They might feel too rooted and too grounded. It might be really hard for them to get moving. Lethargic, uh, depressed yeah. kind yeah. of symptoms. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen that too. And then there are issues associated with, with each chakra as well. Um, but let's even just talk about what do we mean by a specific chakra? Because there are several of these in our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. We have the major seven. Um, and then we have an extended chakra system beyond that, um, which gets really complicated and elaborate. Um, um, some, some folks argue that as we begin to evolve as a species, um, that those upper chakras will descend into the human body and the current seven will descend into the earth, um, which is really interesting. Um, that's a whole, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but so we have our crown chakra, which kind of rests here at the top of our head, mm-hmm. um, which is also described as the thousand petal lotus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have our third eye, um, which is right here in the center of the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have our throat. Um, we have our heart chakra, which is kind of here in this sort of center of the chest, the sternum. Um, and then our solar plexus, which is really kind of at the sort of diaphragm here. Um, And then we have our sacral chakra, which is at the belly, and then our root, which is the base of our spine. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, folks may or may not be familiar with this idea of the sort of kundalini energy, Um, uh, but it's from that root chakra that that kundalini energy begins to spiral upward. Well, and that's a whole nother conversation. I actually um, interviewed a friend of mine from graduate school who went through a Kundalini awakening. And um, so we talked about, you know, how, how, when that energy, when that process, and it's a spiritual kind of awakening process, but with this energy, as it starts to move up through the spine can get stuck and you can see people having like sort of 
um, all kinds of symptoms that oftentimes in the Western medical system will get labeled as psychosis mm-hmm. or like extreme states of anxiety or, or could be depression or um, just all, all kinds of inexplicable kinds of symptoms that really are energetic in basis. And that if you're giving someone like a pill or something to try to quell it, isn't go- it might make things worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also very much involved with this energy system in the body uh, and, and, our, and in our energy field, I keep saying the body, but it's also outside in our energetic field as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and each, each chakra has a corresponding function, yes. um, um, that are specifically, you can kind of think about it as like energetic programming, um, or computer program. Each, each chakra, um, has a particular program that it runs to keep us alive, well, and healthy. Um, and when that's out of balance, we need to figure out what's wrong in the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes we can have an, an excessive amount of energy in a chakra system or a deficient amount of energy in the chakra system. And then we need to figure out what that ex- access or deficiency is about and kind of restore the balance of each chakra so that the right. system is, right. is working uh, harmoniously. Yeah. So for example, like the root chakra is often associated with sen- with safety and security. And so, yeah. right. If a person has had early life experiences where they've been abused or neglected or just grew up in a chaotic kind of unsafe environment, their root chakra, right. Might be imbalanced in some way and they may have issues around safety and security. Yes. I mean, the big theme of the root chakra is trust. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then um, to give another example, I think of like heart and throat, because that often comes up in the work that I do with clients where the heart chakra might be imbalanced or blocked in some way, because maybe there's been heartache, there's been loss, there's grief, there's, there's some sort of, um, you know, emotional uh, wounding of some sort that's occurred, right? Yes, yes. One of the, the big, the big wound, um, of the heart chakra or, or what's called the demon of the heart chakra is grief. Um, and that's often what leads to that kind of heavy feeling Mm -hmm. clients will come for, for, you know, healing work. They'll describe, I have this like heaviness or this pull in my chest. And I just feel like I'm caving in on myself. Usually that's sort of unresolved grief that's living inside the heart chakra. And then throat. Um, and I work a lot with, you know, um, women and sometimes marginalized people. And I know you do as well, where there's been maybe, um, oppression or there's been, um, suppression and there's no voice the the throat Mm -hmm. chakra is blocked in some way and they don't feel like they can speak what's true for them. Yes. Yes. The throat is really the manifestation of our identity in the world. Um, how we authentically show up to who we are and how we express that in the world. And each, each chakra, interestingly, has a corresponding um, sort of partner or consort. So the throat chakra and the sacral chakra are intimately connected. Because um, the, the sacral chakra is all about, I feel. That's the word that's associated with, 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 the, with the sacral Interestingly, most people would think that that's associated with the heart, but the heart is, the mantra of the heart is I love, whereas the sacral is I feel. 
And the sacral chakra is often connected to passion, um, sexuality, um, creation. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the throat, which is all about expression, is so connected to the sacral. Yes. Um, because that, that, that raw passion feeds the throat and how we express who we are in the world. Mm -hmm. So if there's usually an imbalance in one, there's probably an imbalance in the other. So I routinely hear from people who feel throat constriction uh -huh. will often describe just before the throat starts to constrict some turning in the stomach. Ah, interesting. Yes. And we, and we know that too, with anxiety, I think of anxiety with that as well, right? Like when mm -hmm. people say, I feel anxious, often there's tightening in the throat, some sort of belly distress or something tightening or pit in the stomach kind of feeling. Um, so it's interesting how they're connected like that. So mm. when you're working with clients, how do you help them identify what, or how do you know, like, how do you determine when things might be imbalanced in or dysregulated in the energy flow of any of the chakras or those other more sort of universal flows? So it, it kind of depends on if the person is coming specifically for energy work. So I'm also a Reiki master in addition to um, uh, my, my clinical work. So there are some people who do come specifically for energy work. And that's when I'll ask all kinds of questions about how they use their energy, um, how they evaluate their overall energy levels um, and where do they feel like those energy levels are directed. Um, I'll ask them questions about how grounded and rooted do you feel on your best day um, um, or kind of describe to me how you feel up in this region of your body. Like, where do you feel most connected? Um, so I'll kind of do a bit of a cursory assessment with those folks. But if someone's coming in just for kind of mental health care, um, we'll start, they'll come in on like sort of what do you want to review or what would you like to talk about today? And I have them begin talking about it a little bit, bringing the issue to life in the session. And then I'll have them drop into their bodies. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask them, what do you notice happening inside as you speak about this? Where is this really showing up for you? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we'll kind of locate where in the body it's where it's showing up. And then we'll kind of talk about the chakra that's associated with that part of the body. And usually I'm a big fan of Eugene Gendelin's focusing. And I think that process really lends itself to chakra work because then I have people dialogue mm -hmm. with the chakra. Um, wow. as a consciousness of its own mm -hmm. what Absolutely. wisdom or insight can we get from that what is that chakra needing or what is that part of your body needing what is it trying to bring to your attention and then the whole session will become kind of like parts work in a, in a, in a way mm -hmm. that's really cool yeah I haven't worked with folks in that kind of way I also do hands-on energy work um and because I've you know had training with at least being aware of the chakras and kind of what's happening and because I learned about Hara assessment from Shiatsu when I was a massage therapist. It's I we can also in non-verbally kind of assess, like I can get a sense for where there's an energetic blockage, either by putting my hands there or just even attuning to to what's happening or what I feel in my own body, right? Like if I'm with someone and I feel a tightness in my throat, that might be an indication that there's something going on with their throat chakra. And I sort of use that as information. Um but I haven't thought of doing that kind of dialoguing work. For me, it's been more um, either me moving the energy like manually. Um, I, I also trained in Reiki, so maybe it might be 
putting in an energy. It might be pulling out an energy. It might just be putting my hands there and allowing a, a connection to occur between different. There's so many ways that we yeah. can use this, this system and so many modalities, I think, that have developed around working with these energy centers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Crystals are another example that people can kind mm -hmm. of bring in. Um, so I worked with one person who brought in crystals into our sessions that were associated with, with various chakras. And if we identified those particular chakra that was blocked, they would hold that particular corresponding crystal as we talked through the issue and tried to get some insight into, into that blockage. Um, and because mostly I work with trauma, a lot of, a lot of the block is in the lower chakra, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. specifically the root. Um, well, really in trauma, this whole system kind of gets shut down below the chest. Um, cause we know, we know the solar plexus using Jungian language is associated with individuation, development of the ego, development of the self, um, and personal power. Mm -hmm. um, will and fortitude and then we know the sacral is associated with i feel i feel entitled i feel deserving of feeling good in this world mm -hmm. um it is safe for me to open up and allow myself pleasure mm -hmm. um, right. and then that's directly related to the root that says i can trust that i'm safe mm -hmm. to open up and so a lot of the work tends to be pulling ourselves down into our bodies and we can learn how to do this ourselves too. This is not just work that can be done with, a, has to be done with a practitioner. It might be, cause like I know for myself, I learned from practitioners about how all of this works, but then I can also work myself in a meditative way. For example, I could do a meditation, um, a chakra meditation where I tune in to each chakra and just notice, oh, what's going on here? Ooh, something seems off. And I can learn how to spin because right there's also a circular spin to the chakras and you can, um, you can, in, with your intention, you can, or, or putting your hands or whatever on, on the chakra, you can change the way that chakra is functioning, spinning and, and open or close. We can learn how to also do that work ourselves, right? Yes. One really good resource, um, um, that I've really enjoyed reading was by Anna Dea Judith. Um, um, she has several books on the chakra system and she actually has a, what's called a chakra workbook mm -hmm. um, where she guides you through a series of meditative exercises where you connect to each individual chakra and then you draw it out, mm. um, whatever images come to mind. Um, and then you place the images um, on a mirror um from crown to root and then you spend a lot of time just kind of thinking about and meditating on those images yes. to figure out what might be going on for you and then figuring out ways to restore restore that balance in that chakra yeah i love that it's reminding me actually when i was in graduate school and we did hatha yoga and that's when i think i was probably first really introduced to the chakra systems we we drew a silhouette of our bodies you know like 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 in the police crime scene you know where they have like the like we actually traced our own bodies and then drew our chakras and what we sensed was happening in the different colors right because there's also a color associated with each chakra and that visual depiction was really powerful to see wow like the especially like I think for me there was a lot of like heart stuff it was it was really out of whack and so I drew it in a way that it looked 
like that. And that was a very powerful image for me to see like, wow, there's been some real wounding here. And yeah, how can I heal that part of myself? And from a, from a neuroscience perspective, I was reading this article. Um, it was actually written by a, a cognitive behavioral therapist, which typically is not a, I'm trained in it, but not, I don't draw from it all that much. Um, but even this, this article was articulating that uh, really systemic change happens for a person when we're able to recruit all of our senses. There's mm -hmm. something about imagery and psychotherapy that deepens the change process because it activates multiple portions of the brain. Um, so guided imagery from a neurological perspective just activates so much of our brain. So the idea of drawing out your body mm -hmm. and into yourself and, and really coming up with colors or sensations or images or, or, or textures, for example, mm -hmm. helps deepen your connection to your body and, and helps your brain activate and animate more so that you have access to greater material. Yeah. Well, and this is again, where self-healing can occur, right? Because you can visualize different colored lights. You could imagine, you can visualize pulling in the energy from the earth or down from, you know, the heavens and, and you can then like imagine, um, where there's disease, where there is wounding, where there's imbalance um, of some sort in a certain chakra, you could visualize the the light, the colors, like there's any kind of really, you can get super creative with it, right? And just, and, and that the very intention and the very act of visualizing actually will create a change, a measurable change. And I think science is now catching up to it. There's actually been some research that I know certainly with acupuncture, this has happened, but I believe that now we've also had some research studies that have validated that we do have these energy centers that can be measured with scientific equipment. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I love this idea about color. So if someone is really disconnected from their body and they're talking about an issue, but they're not connected to the felt sense, you can ask that person, well, if you're, what color first comes to mind when mm -hmm. you think about this issue, it can give you some indication about where in the energy system it might be originating from. Um, I'm always a big promote proponent of this idea of the first thought, because I mm -hmm. feel like that's where we have that sort of momentary blip of connection to our subconscious mind or our unconscious mind. Yes. Um, so we're not overthinking, we're not overanalyzing it. It's rather organic and spontaneous. And so we know that the crown is violet. We know that the third eye is indigo. We know that the throat is blue. Uh, we know that um, the heart, depending on what you read, is either described as pink or emerald green. Mm -hmm. um, the solar plexus, is yellow um, and the sacral is orange and the root is red. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so depending on the vibrancy of those colors, so if someone's talking about a particular issue and I ask them, if you close your eyes for a moment and you just think about this issue, what, what color comes to mind? Mm -hmm. And they might say a muted red um, or dark red um, or something, or someone might describe, I had someone describe their solar plexus chakra is like a pukey green color oh and right. I'm like whoa okay well that's rather, rather than a healthy like there. bright yellow like yeah. kind of color right that indicates like maybe there's a sickness in there or something mm. yeah that's interesting 
So then we we work with that. We we show up to that. We're like, okay, let's talk about if you connect to your solar plexus right now, or what are you feeling there? Um, and oftentimes, if it's trauma again, people might have a really hard time um, connecting to their bodies, and so we might have to go to the root first before we can even get to the to the solar plexus. So there might be this powerful injury in the solar plexus, but we can't even get there. So the person feels safe and trusting in their own body. Yes. Yes. Now you, we, we had a conversation before about this topic and you had an interesting awareness when you started doing this work, how the chakra system actually correlates with something in Western psychology called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Tell us about that. Yeah. If you, if you take the, uh, a diagram of the, chakra system and place it next to Maslow's hierarchy of need, they're almost identical. Um, so for people who don't know what Maslow's hierarchy of needs are, what is that? So Maslow's hierarchy of need was developed by Abraham Maslow um, to describe basically um, core human existential needs that lead to kind of like wellness. Um, um, and it's it's a pyramid. Um, and so at the very base of that pyramid is safety and security needs, physiological needs. Um, so as human beings, we all need to have those needs met. They're, they're fundamental. They provide the scaffolding for everything that's to come. Mm -hmm. um, so if we don't feel safe in the world, if we don't feel safe in our body, we're not going to be particularly motivated to do anything. We're not going to be open and receptive. Social connection is going to feel scary. Um, the idea of life purpose and meaning and who am I and what what how do I want to show up to the world? Those things aren't necessarily going to be central features because we're just trying to survive. Yes. Yes. Um, and then the next level is belonging needs. Mm -hmm. So feeling a part of tribe, feeling a part of a family, a peer group, feeling like I'm reflected in the world around me and I feel like I have a space in it. And then we have esteem needs, which is this idea of ego identity, who we are. Do I feel confident? Do I feel masterful? Do I feel like I have a sense of agency or self-efficacy? Um, uh, do I feel like my actions mean something in the world? Like I'm able to influence what's happening around me. And then we have the very top of the pyramid, self-actualization which is really when we think about the dominant kind of worldview or ethos of Western society, you know, we, we, we place a lot of emphasis on self-actualization. Um, despite the fact that our society is organized in such a way that very few people can actually self-actualize because a lot of us are just trying to feel like we belong, just trying to survive. And we're thwarted in those efforts a lot of the time uh, yeah. because of social inequity and inequality. Um, but if you overlay that over the, the chakra system, um, it's very similar. We start at the root, mm -hmm. um, which is all about safety, physiological needs. And then we have the sacral, the solar plexus and the heart, which would relate to those belonging esteem needs. Mm -hmm. And then from the heart up, is what we would consider self-actualization, how mm -hmm. I voice myself into the world, how I show up to myself, um, how I see in the world, mm -hmm. my intuition, my creativity, my imagination, um, 
my ability to look forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the crown, which is all about, you know, my connection to all that is, yeah. my sense of universality, my sense of um, I'm connected to a movement of things that is bigger than myself, but I'm a, a, an intrinsic part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know what I'm doing to ensure that I'm participating in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of how early in my career, you know, I was working in the public sector with drug and alcohol treatment with a lot of folks that, you know, had gotten in trouble with the law and were court ordered to treatment. And many of them were homeless um, or, you know, didn't didn't have uh, resources, didn't have, you know, any kind of didn't have jobs and things. And I remember being so surprised that, wow, like I'm not doing what I thought of as therapy, like, which is about, you know, a lot of it is about like, especially transpersonal psychology, which is what my degree was in, and which is all about self-actualization. Like, I couldn't have those kinds of conversations with these folks, because the conversations we needed to have was, okay, how are you going to get your meds? How are you going to have a roof over your head tonight? How are you going to get a bus pass to go from here to there? Like, it was so that basic safety and security stuff. And, um, and I think sometimes we that work in the field, you know, so we, we often take that stuff for granted. We figure that if someone's got a roof over their heads and they, you know, have a job and can whatever, that the, those needs are met. But I think when we look at more holistically with this chakra system, that just because the check, the um, boxes are ticked, doesn't mean that the person is actually feeling safe or that they're like grounded in their root chakra. Right. Yeah. And so often, you know, I think um, one of the be- one of the questions that I ask routinely is, you know, how rooted or grounded or present do you feel? Like I try to assess people's presence because I mm-hmm. think presence, the idea of presence, gives me a lot of insight into where that person is in their root chakra. I really think about the root chakra as presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And the root chakra really is a part of those I am statements. I am, mm-hmm. I am here. Mm-hmm. Um, and if someone doesn't feel like I am here or I am, that tells me there's, there's, there's some wounding in that root chakra. I think, you know, so much of, and I see this a lot in the spiritual community. We spend so much of our time sort of divorcing ourselves of our bodies because we want to be up here. Yes. And I think in psychology and psychotherapy, we do the same thing in dominant psychological theory. We spend a lot of time mm-hmm. talking about cognition, yes, meaning making, that we, we really assess can, you know, can this person feel safe enough in their own surroundings, their own body to even actualize the meaning they're making or to materialize that. So um, it's been a fundamental shift in my own conceptualization of the healing process that even I have privileged way too much mm-hmm. um, the mind. Mm-hmm. So, so looking kind of at this whole conversation and our field, you know, that where would you like to see the field going? Like, what would, what would your vision of it be for the future? Cause I definitely would like to see more of this work happening in our West, very Western linear um, me- biomedical, like you said, way of looking at things. What would you like to see this field evolve into? I would like this field to evolve into, I mean, really, you know, 
privileging and centering the mind body spirit connection. Um, there's this idea when I was in um, the early stages of my PhD and we were talking about different ways of conceptualizing knowledge. Um, and really we're, what we were really talking about was epistemology, how we come to know what we know. Um, and what, what is valid forms of knowledge acquisition. Um, um, and then we started talking about this distinction between empirical evidence and experiential evidence. The evidence that we get through experience is just as important as the evidence we get through controlled empirical studies. Uh, but we mm -hmm. tend to privilege this one over here. And so we were reading this article by this sort of by this indigenous scholar from Nova Scotia, Canada, where I'm from, actually, which is really cool. Um, the indigenous scholar talked about two-eyed seeing. That we can hold a Western worldview and an indigenous worldview simultaneously mm. at the same time. That they're not antithetical to one another. Mm -hmm. That both have something to offer. Right. Um, of value and of, of importance. And so when I think about the state of our field, I think about, you know, graduate programs ensuring that a part of the core curriculum involves this sort of mind, body, spirit, um, rather than, at least in my experience, they were all electives. If I wanted to um, have a more holistic view of social work, the core electives were all sort of more kind of mainstream theories and conceptualizations. If I wanted anything beyond that, I had to take an elective. Right. But if I'm not someone who's intrinsically motivated, I'm going to yeah. miss all of that. So I really think it needs to be better integrated in, in, in core curriculum for for, for trainees and having a part of that in postgraduate licensure, like mm -hmm. ensuring that something is embedded in the licensing structure that enables us to um, deepen that commitment to that yeah. mind-body-spirit connection. I'm with you. I'm a hundred percent. And I would love to see that in the medical schools as well with the psychiatry, you know, for, for them to get a more I mean, even how in medicine, the body parts are all divorced from each other. You go to this doctor for this body part and this doctor for that body part. I mean, uh, I would love to see more integration of mind, body, spirit in that training as well. And I think it's starting to happen a little bit, um, but you're right. It's not like, um, it's not part of the core curriculum. And I would love to see that um, evolve. And I would love to you know, there's such an emphasis these days on evidence-based practices, which means research that we've done in a, this very prescribed scientific method, double-blind, randomized controlled study, that's our evidence that this works. When over here with these more indigenous or, or traditional practices like Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, whatever, shaman, sh shamanic practices, we have thousands of years of evidence that this stuff works, right? Yes. <laughs> How ironic is it that, you know, like you're saying, we're making this um, this heady, sciencey, you know, um, our science is so oriented toward this part and we're not accounting for the experience of so many thousands and thousands of people across thousands of years and how valuable that is. Mm hmm reminds me of a conversation in a training that I went to when I was doing some trauma certification where the trainer was really critiquing this idea of evidence-based practice and was saying, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy is only evidence-based when we're performing in the prescribed way as it was performed 
under very specific conditions during this, the, the trial itself. Yeah. When you take that and translate it out into community mental health, for example, mm-hmm. the playing field looks very different. Yeah. And there's a host of reasons for that. The frequency of appointments, uh, for example, the structure of the program, the environmental factors that are going on in people's lives that might not have been present during the empirical study itself. And so we need to be really kind of critical of, of how we understand what it means to be engaging in evidence-based practice, because evidence-based practice doesn't mean best practice. That's correct. And it's gotten translated into that by mm-hmm. third-party payers and regulators and things like that, which is really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd love to see that change as well. Mm-hmm. It allows more space, I think, for um, it goes back to this idea of experiential evidence again, you know, when we, a, a good practitioner, um, or any healer, regardless of whether or not they're licensed has embedded into their process, a way to reflect on the work that they're doing. Um, and, um, and how they're joining with the person and getting real-time feedback from that person that things are moving forward and things are changing, mm-hmm. um, that is just as valuable um, and important. So if people are being reflexive and self-aware and intentional and mindful, and the therapists themselves are present, like even us as therapists need to be mindful of our own system um, and how our system is interacting with the system of the people that we're working with. Right, co-regulation, that's the new term, right? Especially when we're working with trauma survivors who have this very dysregulated nervous systems, energetic systems, to use the language, you know, we, we've been using. And so one of the ways we can help them to get grounded and calm and like regulate their nervous system is by us regulating our own, right? Mm -hmm. Not allowing ourselves to also get activated into that same kind of dysregulation that they're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to use a sort of personal example of how I've been kind of working on my own, you know, chakra system, I recognize that, you know, being a doctoral student, spending most of my adult life in post-secondary education, I completely divorced myself of my body. Um, uh, And a part of that is also due to my own trauma history. And so over the last year and a bit, I've been working really hard to reorient myself to my body um, and actually being really intentional um, about asking myself throughout the day, how am I feeling in my body right now? What is my body trying to tell me? Do I feel safe in my body right now? How safe do I feel in my own body? Um, mm-hmm. um, I like a piece of work from Peter Levine, what he calls the body resource. What's one area of my body where I feel the most calm and grounded? Yeah. Now he argues we need to stay away from the word safe because not a lot of people may know what that feels like. Yeah, right. Most people know what it feels like to feel reasonably calm or grounded in their body. And then you connect that body resource and then you try to grow it. So it expands outward and begins to envelope your entire body and building that resource. So these are all ways to go back to the the root chakra. You know, we really need to start there. Yeah. This has been such an interesting conversation. I've really appreciated um, sharing this with you and hearing about your work with this. If people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go? Um, they can check out my website, um, which is um, asaven, A-S-A-V-E-N.org. 
Um, um, I try to keep that as updated as I can. Um, um, so they can certainly visit me there. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. Any final thoughts you want to leave no us final with? final thoughts. This has been such a pleasure and such an honor. And I hope that folks found something useful that they can take away from this to explore further. Yes. If you've liked our conversation, thank you for, for listening. Those of you in the audience listening, watching, if you've liked our conversation, please do share this podcast with uh, others, comment, like, review all the things so that more, uh, more of this information can get out in the world. Thank you so much all for tuning in today. See you next time. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.